Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. It is just me here. No Gina Warfel today. I'm so sorry, you guys. I messed up on sending out calendar invites. <laughs> and so, but we have this, oh my gosh, I am so, I say this every week, but I'm so, so, so excited to have Mariah Sage on the podcast with us. Mariah has literally saved my life. And, and I don't say that lightly. She is a family coach and helps support families set up systems that support their dynamics. And she basically what she does is she helps create more ease and harmony and flow within the family unit. Mariah was introduced to me right after Tristan had passed. And I was really, really struggling with being a single mom. It was like our whole family unit had completely shifted and changed and the children were mourning and I was mourning and the children had extra needs and I had less bandwidth and I was drowning. I was literally drowning and the way I was parenting before just wasn't working. And it was literally, it was, you guys, my family was falling apart. And it was really hard for me to witness and to, I I always thought of myself as a very loving and patient parent. And I could feel that slipping from my consciousness and my friend, oh my gosh, uh, Grace, one of my closest friends, Grace, she said, I am going to hook you up with this incredible family coach. Her name is Mariah Sage and she has helped me and she's going to help you. And Grace wasn't wrong. So after just working with a month with Mariah, my family completely shifted and changed. Our systems changed, our rules changed, our boundaries changed. There's so much more flow and harmony now with with me and my kids and more connection. And Mariah got me there. And when I was talking with her in one of our consults, I said, Mariah, people need you. (laughs) Like the world needs you because not only do you help families navigate each other with so much ease and grace, but you make us, you help us understand it and you help us do it in a way that feels gentle and honors every member of the family. And you guys, what we're going to be talking about today, what I'm going to be asking Mariah are, I've been in this world, this health world now for five years and I've encountered thousands of people and I've encountered thousands of stories. And what really guts me is the stories of children and the way we are feeding our children and how we are doing a disservice to them in our country because we are not, well, one, there's, there's two things I see. One, our current state right now with our children is that we just don't have healthy boundaries with them and their food. For instance, children, are expected to go to school. They're expected to do homework. They are expected to show up at sports. They're expected to practice piano. But when it comes to food, all boundaries go out the window and we just succumb to whatever they want and need, which leads to long-term ramifications of children getting sick, children having health issues, children encountering all kinds of autoimmune diseases at younger, younger ages. I am seeing really sick children now between the ages of like six and 12 and in their teens. And it's, it's just a lot. Sorry, you guys, I promise Mariah is going to talk soon, but I have to preface this. And that really deeply concerns me. But then I talked to adults who grew up with healthy parents and they had these really strict rules and these really toxic relationships with their food where there was a lot of shame and there was a lot of guilting. And there's a middle ground here where we can see the disconnect, but we need to approach our food and approach our children with their food from a place of love and connection and with healthy boundaries, healthy boundaries that, that are respectful. And so that's what we're going to be talking with Mariah today. So Mariah, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Please tell people a little bit more about you and what you do and launch us into this topic and how and what you have seen. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so like Janique said, I'm a family coach, so I help families with systems and family dynamics and really just getting to a place of ease and flow in their family. So there's not so much power struggle and not so many breakdowns throughout the day. And 
I think food and eating is one of the most common breakdowns and struggles that families deal with. And especially in a world where more and more people are becoming health conscious and are Mm -hmm. wanting to feed their kids healthy, nourishing food. And whether they grew up in the type of family you described where maybe their parents were healthy eaters, but there was a lot of control around it, or it was the opposite where they grew up with no boundaries around food Mm -hmm. and they kind of grew up eating a more standard American diet, people are just lost on this topic, you know, and how to handle it. And I think the big thing that always comes up for me first around feeding kids is that kids learn really early on. Kids want autonomy, right? They want to feel like they have control in their lives. They want to feel like they get to make some of their own choices and like they're their own people. And kids learn really early on that food is one area where we can't make them do things, Right. right? So we can set boundaries and we can have good expectations and we can present them with healthy foods. But at the end of the day, you can't force your child to eat something or not eat something. Right. right? So I think that's where a lot of the breakdowns come in with this. Now I'm kind of jumping ahead, but that part where you can't force them to do something, is that where a lot of eating disorders start where children feel so out of control But this, like you said, this is the one thing they can't control. So they will just stop eating or they will binge eat or they will. Is this one of those dynamics where we are so strict in all areas in their life that they turn to food to feel like they have power? I absolutely think it is. I think if you talk to anyone who's struggled with an eating disorder, they'll tell you that their experience, whether part of their experience at least was Mm -hmm. the feeling that food was something they could control in their lives, right? right? When things feel out of control and they feel lost, this is one area where, you know, they can control what goes in their bodies and what doesn't. And, you know, for children, obviously it's not on a conscious level, but unconsciously that's what's happening, right? Is that it's like that one area where they get to cling on and they get to be the ones who make choices. Right, right. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. What are some ground rules and boundaries that you think every single family in America and across the world should have in their, their family dynamics? Yeah, so I think no matter what your personal standards are in your household for what it means to eat healthy, the most important thing to, the first thing I would say to try to get away from is making different meals for different people. I love that. Thank you. Because so many moms, (laughs) can I just jump in really fast? What I hear all the time is when families are switching over to healthy lifestyles, they're spending more time in the kitchen and they're super like overwhelmed. And then I hear a lot of moms saying, I'm making three meals for three different kids and I want to bang my head on a wall and like, why are you doing that? Why are you setting yourself up for failure? So I'm so glad you brought that up. So keep going, keep going down this rabbit hole. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a common, a common breakdown that comes up and it's tough because you want your kids to eat, right? And you want to make sure that they're getting the nutrients that they need and that they're getting energy. And, you know, there's ways to do it where you can make sure, like there's a term that's used a lot that's like safe foods, right? Mm-hmm. So making sure that there's always a safe food for each child on their plate so that you know they're going to get something into their bodies that's going to fuel them. Would, but it, then would a safe fuel be like, a safe food be like fruit? Because most kids love fruit, right? And so it's like, they're yeah. definitely going to eat all their blueberries that are on their plate, but they're not going to eat the broccoli. Is that correct? Exactly. And it can be really different for every family and every child. You know, I I recently worked with a family who had a two-year-old and a four-year-old and their two-year-old, they joked that he was on the paleo diet Mm -hmm. because he loved everything, meat and protein. And Mm -hmm. then their older one only wanted to eat carbs. And so Mm -hmm. they would finish each other's plates. You know, one would eat all the rice and one would eat all the chicken or whatever. But so it's different depending on the child, but you want to make sure that there's something each kid is going to eat at each meal, right? Mm-hmm. So that they're getting food in. Okay. But beyond that, really getting out of this thing of constantly making a new meal for every child, right? Mm-hmm. And that at the end of the day, really what it comes down to, like the bottom line rule to me is you choose what's presented and they choose what they eat. So you can't force them to eat anything, but you can choose what foods are being put in front of them. I love that. So make the same meal for everyone. Make sure there's at least one safe food for them that they will absolutely eat. Let's say the child eats that and they refuse to eat the rest of their food. What does a dialogue sound like that parents, how how can parents diffuse the situation and be like, instead of emotion being drawn in and it turns into a power struggle, what would the conversation and dialogue sound like? Uh, I think before I get into that, I would just say that I think it's really important for parents to know that it takes a lot of exposure to new foods before kids are willing to try them and Mm -hmm. like them and feel comfortable with them. So 
there's kind of mixed research on the exact number of times because of course every child is different, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the numbers that are out there are somewhere between 10 to 20 times that a child needs to be exposed to a new food before they'll try it. I've heard 16. The number that I've mentioned on other podcasts and with other researchers is like, and you guys, I hope you're hearing this. Your child, let's say you're trying to get your child to eat broccoli. You need to expose your child to broccoli between 10 and 20 times. That's a lot of broccoli you're going to be making. And I love that you brought that up because it's just going to be exposure therapy and monkey see monkey do, you know, so you just have to do it over and over and over and over without the emotion. So keep going, Mariah. I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. And I think two things that are important to keep in mind there. One is that, you know, people get concerned about food waste, which I understand because it is a lot of food that gets wasted in the process of your kids learning to eat. Right. But mm-hmm. I try to reframe it as that as like, this is the, this is part of their food education, right? Like I the food that. is going to them learning to be healthy eaters. And, you know, it's also about how much you put on their plate. So if it's a new food, just put a couple pieces at mm. first, you know, and that way it's not this pressure that they have to eat all of it. Oh my gosh, that's um, brilliant. Because I normally like try to pressure my kids into eating it. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. So just <laughs> a couple bites. I love that. Yeah. Do you exactly. believe while we're at this, do you believe in the no thank you bite where it's like, you don't have to like it, but you have to try it once. And like with my kids, I would say, just put it in your mouth, try to swallow. If you really hate it that much, you can spit it out. Is there a different way to reframe that? I would say my answer to that is a yes. And like, if you're in, if you've gotten to the point with your kids where you're struggling a lot with picky eating and they're really pushing back and you've gotten kind of wrapped up into this big ball of power struggle, Mm -hmm. then it might be time to throw that out the window for a little while Mm. because it just plays into those control dynamics. And that doesn't mean you can't bring it back later. But beyond that, I would say that absolutely. I think it's great to allow kids to, you know, get a little extra encouragement to try something that might be a difficult food for them in the beginning. All right. So what would like that encouragement sound like? So I usually would say you just put something in front of them and at first don't say anything, just present it like any other food, right? So even if it's like there's something special on the plate that they love, I think not using it as incentive too, and instead just saying like, okay, here's dinner basically mm-hmm. and keeping it really simple. And then if they start to push back, then the big thing is not to get into arguing with them, Mm -hmm. right? So what happens so much of the time is that a child piece of food they're not interested in and they say, you know, I don't want to eat this or I don't like this or, you know, whatever the, the argument is. And then parents jump in and they say, well, you have to try one bite or oh, come on, it's so yummy, or oh, look at your brother, he's eating it, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. and immediately what happens when you do that is you're going up against your child's will, basically. Yeah, and it also almost feels like a little shameful, like, look, they're doing it, what's wrong with you kind of thing. Your your brother's eating it, like, why won't you, you know, and so you're like putting siblings against each other when you're using that kind of language. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there is some of that shame that starts to come in and just pressure, you know, and it's as soon as the pressure comes in and as soon as the power struggle comes in, you've already lost the battle. Right. So, so the biggest thing is as a parent to be able to keep yourself in a place of emotional neutrality, Mm -hmm. which is like every battle. (laughs) And it's the hardest part, Mm -hmm. but it is, you know, if they feel you getting emotionally activated, then they've hooked you in. And then from there, there's just no winning. Yeah. I love, and tell me if I'm going too far ahead. You taught this to me a couple of weeks ago where my kids won't eat their dinner. And I want everyone to understand this. I went, so I just got back from vacation and I, I, we were staying with friends and my friends watched very closely how my children ate and what I fed them because, you know, they see me as Getsy mom online and, you know, all these healthy recipes. And my friend Christina was like, I was so happy to see that your kids still don't like healthy food. And I'm like, they don't. They would much rather pick up some donuts than eat their vegetables. Every, like almost everyone would, I actually wouldn't, but like 99% of people and like a hundred percent of children out there would probably want junk food over vegetables. And so even though I have raised my kids really well and they eat a lot of healthy food, they would prefer to not eat it and they still whine and they still want to fight me on it. So this was one of the questions I asked Mariah a few weeks ago. I was like, hey, when my kids actually don't eat their food because they're just in a mood or they had a hard day or, you know, something happened at school or they've been 
fighting, what do I do? Because they will not eat their food. And then right before bedtime, they want snacks and they're going to the snack cupboard and they're wanting this and they're wanting fruit and they, and their food is untouched. The advice that you gave me, Mariah, was like, okay, they don't eat it at dinner. All right. The language was, I think this is what you told me. Okay. I'm just going to put it in the fridge for when you get hungry later. And when you're hungry, we're going to eat this. We're not going to go eat the snacks. We're going to finish dinner first and then we can go to the snacks. So did I, did I say that right? And is there any other way that you want to do it that way? It's not like you better eat your food now or you're not going to da, 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 you know, like there's none of that. It's just like, okay, that's your choice. Just so that, you know, dinner's ready when you're hungry later on kind of thing. And it's the same food. So is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that goes back to the bottom line rule, right? Which is that you choose what's available and they choose what they eat. So, Mm -hmm. so this is such a common breakdown. I see all the time with families who are healthy eaters because kids are smart, right? And they know that in those minutes before bedtime, you're tired and you Mm -hmm. just want to get them down. And it's (laughs) the perfect time to sneak in the the snacks that Mm -hmm. they want or whatever it is, right? Um, And so, yeah, so I usually would say, you know, this is what's available. So if you get hungry later, it's waiting for you in the fridge. So so it doesn't even have to be like, you know, an argument at all. It's just like, okay, you don't want to eat right now. Now, that's great. If you decide you do, it's in the fridge. It's, this is what's available. Mm-hmm. You know, there will be no snacks available. What are your opinions around like family dinner time where, you know, sometimes a lot of families, they're like, we sit down and we eat together as a family. I find that really hard for younger kids, especially younger kids with tons of energy. If anyone's into like human design, manifesting generators don't sit down very well. (laughs) So my kids love to play and eat dinner at the same time. What are your thoughts around boundaries with family dinners and what should we be enforcing? And would it be different from family to family to family? Like sit down and you eat with a knife and a fork and we talk about certain things or no, it's okay. We can play. Yeah. So my approach is always that whatever works for your family is the right approach when it comes to mm. these kind of things. So I think a family dinner can be really nice. You know, it's great to sit down together and spend time together. And, you know, I, I literally was working with a family in home not that long ago who had a little boy who would like he just had so much energy, like you said, like manifesting generator mm-hmm. type, you know, and he had a little scooter he would get on between bites and like ride around the, like a big circle in the house. And oh my gosh, that's crazy. Bites and, <laughs> and they were like, is this terrible? And I was like, he's three, you know, he's three and he's eating and yeah. if it's getting you through dinner and he's getting his food down, then that's fine, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think it's really up to your values as a family and what feels important to you. And, right. you know, if you do see, Hey, I would love for us to sit and spend more time together at the dinner table, then work up to it gradually. And don't mm-hmm. try to make an expectation that your kids go from running wild to sitting still the whole time. Right. right. I think that was like the most mind blowing thing to me. And I wish Gina was recording with us right now because she introduced to me play at the dinner table and my kids just, they will eat anything if you're playing with them with their food where it's like, you know, close your eyes and guess what food is I'm putting in your mouth, you know? So she'd put a little piece of broccoli and beans and rice and put in the mouth in their mouth and they would, they would have to guess and they ate everything off of their plate. Normally they would complain about it, you know? And so just, just for families, just maybe keep an, an open mind about children's personalities, their ages. If they're young, maybe you would have some success because I have found, and you've taught me this too, Mariah, they just want connection and play and love and they oftentimes feel connection through play and they feel love through play and so you can turn dinner into this this fun little event that they want to be engaged in because you're engaged and you're playing with them and so yeah some of our best dinner moments is us playing and dancing and you know they're running around the table and I catch them and then every time I catch them I get to put a big spoon of food in their mouth you know and and it's really fun again age appropriateness you can't really do that with your teenagers but um, <laughs> any other, any other kind of like guidance for parents that are trying to set up food rituals and dinner routines that you could bestow on the audience? Yeah, I love what you said about play. And I mean, I think that that's such an important thing to remember. And it it plays into power struggles too, because it's actually one of the best ways of getting out of a power struggle Mm -hmm. is to bring playfulness in. So instead of responding with a direct kind of argument to what your child says about not wanting to eat their food, you can come in with play in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. And say like, I bet you can't eat all your broccoli before I do or, you know, something, whatever Mm, it is, or do the airplane to the mouth if they're little or, you know, some kind of way to bring that playfulness in makes a huge difference. 
And with that, I think remembering that it's like, I think we get so caught up in thinking it's like kids are resisting us for the sake of resisting us, but to remember that they're learning to eat, like they really are. This is their food education, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's what's happening at your dinner table is your children learning to be healthy eaters. And so remembering that it's an exploration and, and with that, like it can work really well to say things like for little kids, especially like, oh, can you find the green thing on your plate, mm. you know? And I feel like I we keep using that. broccoli as the example. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the classic thing. Kids don't want to eat. They but. don't want to eat it. <laughs> but it's like, oh, it looks fuzzy, you know? Do you think it would feel fuzzy in your mouth? Mm, like, I try it, you know? So bringing in kind of that exploratory, fun, playful thing. And it's mm. like food can be an adventure for them. You guys, I just have to say something about Mariah and like how I've been working with her and just like little examples like that have completely, completely changed my family dynamic with my children where she gives me language that makes it playful. And I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like, well, one, because my brain's so tired and I've been, you know, in survival, but that's all of us parents, you know? And so I cannot emphasize enough like how how important just little tweaks like that are for our families to just help us slow down and connect. Two things. One, the topic of play, especially with young children. A lot of the times parents are a little bit OCD about their babies playing with food and getting food messy. And this is what I actually learned from my pediatric doctor back when I lived in San Antonio. And he was actually an Air Force doctor. So he was very mainstream, but he was so intelligent. And he was like, you need to teach your kids to play with their food and experience their food. Because like you said, it's food education. When we puree everything their palates are not trained for texture. And that's when you start having kids that are older that will only eat soupy foods. They will only eat chicken nuggets. They will only eat fries. They will only eat like cream of chicken soup. You know what I mean? And so we need to let our babies, when they start touching foods, you know, obviously they need to be small so that they're not choking on food, but they need to touch it. They need to play with it. They need to smear it on their face. They need to put it in their mouth. They need to spit it out. They need to touch it again. Let them get messy. Let them play with their food. Let them play with it in their mouth. Let them play with it in their hands all over their body and have it be multiple textures. Stop pureeing everything because that is really setting them up for failure further down the road. Another tip I wanted to add before I ask Mariah my question, but a lot of parents like to, and maybe Mariah, you have an opinion on this, but my opinion is when introducing foods to children, do bland food. They do not need fruit. They do not need sugar. You are setting them up. You're setting their brain and their palate up for sweet, 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 stimulating food. Do bland steamed vegetables over and over and over. Even sweet potatoes. I wait months and months and months before I give them sweet potatoes. I like to give them the broccoli and the cauliflower and the peas. And sometimes I wait on carrots or I steam carrots a lot to try and get the sugar out of there. But give them as bland food as possible so that you are training their palate to eat the bland so that when the sweet comes in, they have space for bland food. So don't go straight to fruit. Don't go straight to strawberries. Don't go straight to pineapples and mangoes. Wait a little bit. Okay. So my next question, and I'm hoping Mariah can weigh in on this. This is something that I asked her about, and I want you guys to hear her answer. But when I talk about food, because the way we talk about food, you guys, can be very toxic. I see a lot of parents having a lot of fear around food. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. This hurts my stomach. I'm gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. I'm lectin-free. I'm oxalate-free. I'm oxygen-free. I'm calorie. Like It's extreme. We live in this really extreme world where no food feels safe for people anymore, you know, and all the experts, and I put in air quotes, experts are fighting each other. Carnivore is better than paleo and paleo is better than keto and blah, blah, blah. And so this kind of language is bleeding into our children's lifestyles. And so what I have started saying to my children, and maybe this is helpful and maybe Mariah can expand on it more, is I now call healthy food, healing food, and I call junk food, fun food right? Because I don't want there to be this hierarchy of junk food is shameful because a realistic life means you are going to eat all of it. And so I want my children to eat all of it without the energetic and emotional charge. So, but I do want them to understand that fruits and vegetables and proteins and healthy fats, they heal your body and they build it up. They help your body to heal and repair themselves when they get injuries and give your body energy. And then the junk food, AKA the fun food, 
is what we enjoy after dinner or as, you know, like, because that, that is such an ingrained part of our tradition. And so Mariah, is that something that you can expand on for listeners and tell listeners or explain to us how navigating words like that or a dynamic like that could be helpful, or maybe that isn't helpful. I've had some messages from followers say, oh, you shouldn't do that because you're still creating a hierarchy of food. And in my mind, I'm like, there's always going to be hierarchy, right? We just need to befriend the differences and stop shaming it out of everyone. But that's just my opinion. I'm not the expert. Mariah is. So I'm going to keep quiet and hear from her. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a big question because there are multiple schools of thought on this. You know, there are people who say, if you're going to give your kids candy, serve it in a small amount with the rest of dinner so Mm -hmm. that they start to see all the foods as the same. Mm. Um, I would lean more in the direction. I like your language a lot of healing foods versus fun foods because it does take out some of that shame. And I think one of the things you see a lot, and you sort of touched on this in the beginning, but it's people who grow up in healthy, health-conscious families, right? My family was extremely health-conscious growing up, and Mm -hmm. I have, there's five kids in my family, and so it was really interesting to watch as we all grew up the way we evolved with food, because my parents were really strict about what we ate when we were young, and so to watch the patterns of going through then having freedom around food and what that feels like and Mm -hmm. people going off the other direction and then coming back. And, and what I see is that most people who grow up healthy eventually return to that, but it's not always immediate, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. the time there is this kind of like rebellion that happens around food. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to a lot of those dynamics around control. And this is kind of that same thing. So with your kids, I think it's like, you know, if you are a health conscious person, you're making healthy choices in your life like don't completely prohibit those fun foods so to speak but also treat them in the same way you would treat them for yourself right like you're not going to go and eat ice cream every single day but on vacation or on a special occasion you might Mm -hmm. have some and so I think educating your kids in that way of like you know when do we indulge in those foods and what are the differences is a great approach if you're if you know, health conscious eating is a family value to you. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so you do approve of the the healing foods versus the fun foods. I like that idea of like putting the fun food in with dinner so that it's like on equal terms. And so if that works for families where it's not like, hey, after you eat your vegetables, you can get your, what do you think of that? Like if you eat all your veggies, you can get dessert. What is that dynamic of food like for children? Is that a healthy dynamic or is that something that needs to be shifted? That's a tricky one. I think um, it's it's borderline to me because I Mm. understand the impulse behind it because you want your kids to eat and it's very, very effective, right? But at the end of the day, yeah, I think it's it's better if you can to neutralize it and just say like, okay, well, you get one sweet thing with dinner, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can have it now or you can have it after or whatever, as long as it's not enough that it's going to fill them up, you know, and then they won't eat their dinner. Um, But I do like the idea of kind of putting it on, on the same plane. And, and I think like the, what's behind that impulse to me is this thing of like teaching kids to trust their bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's that's a huge one because, because we force them to eat food, huh? And when they say yeah. we're full, where we say, no, you have to finish everything. That yeah. is huge. Sorry, keep going because I, I want you to really hit this one hard for listeners. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's so challenging because we all deal with it as adults in our world, right? It's like, we're, we're trying to learn to trust our bodies and eat intuitively, but we're living in a world where we're exposed to foods that are stopping us from being able to trust our bodies because there's so much sugar and so much sodium and all these things that are changing our brain chemistry, literally. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you think about that, like how hard it is for us to have self-control around those things. And then you put that in the immature brain of a child. It's like, there's no way there it's a losing battle, you Mm -hmm. know? And so that's where it's like, it's this difficult thing where you want to teach your kids. Yeah. Trust your body. Listen to yourself. If you're not hungry, if you really don't like something, you don't have to eat it, but also educating them that, about different foods and the way they affect their brains Mm -hmm. and that they're going to crave foods that aren't necessarily those healthy foods or healing foods, you know? So, so it's nuanced, but one of the things that comes up a lot for me is the way that we underestimate kids intelligence. And I think this is one of those areas where we don't give them credit for how much they can understand. And so you can talk to your kids about 
their brains and you can talk to your kids about their bodies and how they respond to different things. And they will take that information in from a young, young age and it'll stay Mm. with them throughout life. I love that. I actually, I hesitate to share this because I'm scared someone's going to steal this idea. And if you do, it's fine because the world needs this. But I've actually wanted to do a series of children's books, like with, with illustrations of like what the certain types of foods do in the body, but in a very gentle manner, you know what I mean? It's not like when you eat sugar, burns like cavities you know it's just like look at the difference between what the foods that you eat and so yes we like the fun food and the healing food and you know and this is these are the like because we don't have enough education like that but kids can understand it they can pick it up so I I love that you mentioned that you know like one they do have that undeveloped brain and so we need to navigate their their eating habits gently but like giving them some grace to like lean into their own body intuition and be like okay they're actually really full like let's not force this or they they really don't want this or they really don't want that and so yeah I really like that so you have five siblings or there's five children in your family. Is that correct? Did all of them eventually come back to healthy eating? Yeah, we all have over the years. Amazing. So my, my oldest sister is in her 40s and my youngest brother is in his 20s. And mm-hmm. eventually everyone came back around. Yeah. But, but it's been interesting to watch the fluctuations for mm-hmm. sure. Okay, so I grew up in a healthy family too. And I've always just wondered what other dynamics were like. My mom was strict, but she wasn't shameful. Like she never shamed food around us. She gave me, so in South Africa, there's something called tuck shop money. So we'd get tuck money every day to go to the tuck shop and buy food, right? And I was supposed to buy healthy food, but I bought flakes. And do they have flakes here in the United States? Cadbury's flakies. I'd buy a flaky every day and junk food every day. And people probably are like, what? You ate junk food? Guys, I ate so much junk food, but I also grew up having headaches and migraines and I couldn't understand why. Now I know why, because it was blood sugar regulation and driving up inflammation. So as soon as I eat too much sugar, I start to get headaches. I'm like, oh, there, there's young Janique again, you know, eating all this sugar. But I ate so much junk food when I had the freedom to. But my mom taught me at home to eat the healthy food and taught me like why healthy food is important and taught me about the human body and taught me when we eat healthy foods that does healing things. And so when I left the home, I remember at BYU, when I went to BYU, I lived off of their chocolate milk, their chocolate milk and cheese strings. And I got a root canal that year and so many cavities. And I had the worst back pain on the face of the planet. Like I was told I'd need surgery by the time I was 30. And then I slowly navigated back into healthy healing foods and all of that went away. And so that was my journey too, where it's like, we kind of go wild, you know, like we kind of have to, we have to hit rock bottom and then be like, oh yeah, mom was right. But what was really, really incredible was I had this relationship with my mother that when I would come to her and talk to her about these things, it was never like, see, I told you so, or if you just listen to me, you wouldn't have had to go through that. You know, sometimes we just need to let our kids scrape their knees a little bit. We need to let them get the root canals and the cavities when they're adults because that's how they learn, you know? And so I think as we do this, recognize that I think what is more damaging is the energy around how you're teaching them versus what you're teaching them. And it's the energy about how much good food they're getting versus how you're trying to force it on them. And so if you can create a safe container for your children as they are learning these principles, they might use their free agency to eat all the candy that they're given at school. But you're planting so many beautiful seeds, safe seeds, gentle seeds they're going to grow. And so if we just lean into that and plant it with a little bit of like sprinkled faith on there, they'll, they'll figure it out. All right. Like you're doing enough. Mariah, is there anything else you want to say to that? Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, that's, it's the foundation that you're setting for them, yes. you know, and it is, we all go through our various forms of rebellion and individuating ourselves from our parents and that's mm-hmm. important. And, and one thing that came up too, when you were telling that story about your mom is that, one of the things you can do with your kids is to draw distinctions for them now about mm-hmm. how they feel when they eat different foods. Yes. So a lot of kids will have behavioral things come up after they eat a lot of sugar or something like that. And so 
there's a way to do it without being shaming, right? You don't have to say, well, you ate all the sugar and now Mm -hmm. this is what's happening. But you can say like, you know, have you noticed that when you eat this, you feel this way or how do you feel after you eat this thing and help them start to kind of, that goes back to trusting their bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Develop that body awareness and develop the awareness of like, I've worked with kids who then after a while will start saying things like, I think I need protein. You know? <laughs> yeah, and my kids so say that too. Like, <laughs> it's like so sweet to hear that come out of their mouth, you mm-hmm. know? Like, wow, that's such awareness to, yeah. to know that. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. Can I give an example really fast? So like I said, my family and I were on vacation this week and obviously we're not eating the usual foods and my, you know, my kids are gravitating towards like more sugary things. And my son, he, he's a lot like me. We have some, if anyone is familiar with Ed's, I think his Ed's is a little bit more severe than mine. And so that's like a connective tissue disorder. And so he's got very loosey goosey connective tissue. And so that's ligaments and cartilage and tendons and skin and all of that. And so when I was young, and I would eat sugar, you know, one, I was hypermobile, but I would get like these really bad headaches and he gets headaches and it's directly correlated to how much sugar he's eaten. And so at the airport, he was like, Oh mom, I have a headache. And I would say, you know, when I was your age, I would get a lot of headaches too. And I found that when I ate more sugar, it made my headaches a lot worse. So what did, what do you think? Like when we get home, maybe you can eat, drink some water, eat some beef sticks, like what foods do you think could help counteract, you know, all that sugar we've been eating today, you know, and like, and, and putting like the responsibility back on him, you know, he's seven, almost eight. Like he understands, like I've taught him the principles and then he allowed them to come up with solutions to problem solve so that you're giving them information that empowers them. Right. Yeah. I'm not showing him like, well, if you ate less sugar, you'd have less headaches. You know, like that energy is so different. Anyways, that's, that's stuff I've learned from you, Mariah, (laughs) just these little conversations here and there. And, you know, and so there's another question that I wanted to ask, and that is a lot of moms say, if I don't, if I don't give them the foods they want to eat, they are just not going to eat and my child is going to starve. Is that true? Are children really going to starve themselves? Are they really not going to eat food? How would you navigate something like that? Because moms sincerely believe if I don't give my child the food they want, they're not going to eat anything. And that's a very scary, like it almost, we almost feel like we're abusing our children, right? How would you navigate that? It is scary. And and I think that it really depends on the kid. You know, there are kids who will kind of, who kind of go on hunger strike um, Mm -hmm. if they don't get what they want. And that goes back to the control thing. And, And usually what's happening there is that there's a history already where this dynamic has built up over time and mm-hmm. there's a lot of power struggle that needs mm-hmm. to be unwound. Mm-hmm. So without knowing kind of like specifics of somebody's situation, you know, if your child's underweight and you're concerned about their health and things like that, I get that that can be a scary place to be in and, and you have to make the choices that make sense for them. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing I would say is that you can't kind of just 180 overnight, right? Like you can't completely go from feeding your kids mac and cheese and chicken nuggets for every single meal to giving them, you know, the same things that maybe you're eating for dinner if it's completely different. So you have to be gradual. But the biggest thing is that you have to get out of the power struggle dynamic with them because if there's an element of control there, then that's usually what's causing this thing where kids won't eat, you know? And it can also be actually nutritional. And this is where, you know, my expertise kind of goes out, but, but I've worked with experts in some of my courses before who work with families to actually balance their kids gut microbiome so that Mm -hmm. they actually crave healthier foods because sometimes there's actually something physical going on that's causing that level of picky eating. Yeah. And I a hundred percent, a hundred percent back that because when you change the microbiome, you know, everyone says the gut is the second brain, but it's actually the first brain. There's this book called the the gut brain connection. And it's, it's actually, if you look at how evolution happens, like the, the bacteria actually help form the neural tissue and so on and so forth. Anyways, it's, it's very long and complex, but the gut brain connection is beautiful. And so a a really easy thing to do for children is there's two things that I, I tell families is either put them on the gut restoration protocol or the gut infection protocol. And I've been putting a lot of kids on the gut infection protocol lately with a lot of success. And so if people are wondering those three products for the gut infection, and we'll put a link in for the gut restoration podcast, if you want to listen to the gut restoration podcast, we'll put a 
link in the show notes to the podcast that I did. Um, 20, I think it was like November, 2020. But the gut infection protocol includes products from Microbiome Labs. It's HU58, Restore Flora, and Megaspore. And you're giving your kids like that every single day. And it's phenomenal. Like I'm seeing even teenagers, their sleeping patterns are changing. Their absorption is better. Like their mood swings are better. Like with kids, like skin issues are clearing up. Molluscum is going away. You know, like, yeah, it's huge. But I love how you mentioned it has to be gradual, right? Because it has to feel safe because like, you know, you said the dynamic is there. It's probably been there for months, if not years. And so you need to, would you say you need to build a bridge of trust and like help your child trust? Like, Hey, I've changed my ways and I'm, and I'm really sorry. Let's like go into that. Let's say you have been that parent that is forced and forced and forced. And it's turned into this battle of like wills and it's created a lot of contention and a lot of mistrust. What would a conversation sound like or look like when a parent is listening to this podcast and they're like, oh crap, like I, I need, to, because what I have learned, you guys, and Mariah, maybe you can say this is true for all families, but it, oftentimes, like nine out of 10 times, it's not the kid's fault. Like when my kids are emotional or they're upset or they're fighting, it's not because of something they've done. It's because of my presence. It's because I've been working too much. It's because I haven't had enough time to connect. It's because I'm energetically pushing them away because I'm overwhelmed. And so they are reacting because I haven't been there for them. And I've watched TV shows of like, you know, parent swap and stuff. And it's, it always, sadly, it's almost always the parent. Is that correct? Would you say that? Yeah, I would say, I would say absolutely that's true. Like Mm -hmm. most of the, most of the patterns in our family start with us, right? Because kids are just mirrors and they reflect everything back to us. Just Um, mirrors. Oh my gosh. Can you just say that again? They are just mirrors. Say it again. Yeah. (laughs) Kids are mirrors. Yeah. They reflect back all of our Mm -hmm. stuff. I joke all the time that parenting is the world's best personal development course because <laughs> <laughs> you'll have everything, every pattern, every Oh shadow, my God, it's, you'll just see it. It is so <laughs> true. <laughs> but with that I would also say that, you know, it's I'm always um I'm always really aware of the mom guilt thing, right? Oh God, and so, it's so real. So I so I say that so real. you know, probably it starts with you and at the same time don't let this spiral you into yeah. a, a, you know, pattern of shame and guilt because totally. that's not serving you or your no, children either. Right. Not. And so instead it's just to look and see, mm-hmm. okay, where did this come from and why did I get to this place with right. them? You know, and, mm-hmm. and chances are it came from a really good place of you just wanting your kids to be healthy 100%. and we all make mistakes in parenting, right? Nobody's a perfect parent. Yep. And so, but what I would say is to, to start by just sitting your kids down and just being really honest with them, you know, no matter what age they are, just say like, Hey, you know, I've been really thinking about all the arguments we've been having about food or how difficult it's been at dinner time. And I just want to say that I'm sorry for the way that I've handled things mm-hmm. and, and here's what's happened in the past and I'm going to try to handle things differently And would you be willing to work with me so that we can help you learn to try some new foods and, you know, maybe eat more healthy foods or change your diet a little bit and kind of have that open, like, apology conversation Mm -hmm. with them. And then with that, that opens up space for them to give you their buy-in to be willing to work on it. So that's like the first step of, like, breaking the pattern that you've been in. I What I really like that you've taught me, too, is, like, involving kids in the conversation of how do we navigate this change? Like, for instance, let's say, you know, you're trying to get them to eat less mac and cheese and more vegetables. Like, you can literally say, hey, I want to create a safe space for you to explore other foods, other healing foods, as well as your fun foods like mac and cheese, what do you think would be a good way to introduce these foods that feels comfortable and safe? Did I say that right? Or could you like, re- like say that in a, in a better way? Great. No, that's awesome. I mean, I think the, the first step to that is always that when I bring up a conversation with kids like that, I always try to say, 
describe the situation you've been dealing with like mm-hmm. you're a fly on the wall, like you're a neutral mm-hmm. observer. So say like, I've noticed that lately at dinner time when I ask you to eat your vegetables, mm-hmm. you've been getting really upset and then we end up fighting. Um, you know, have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. And then let them kind of share. And then what you said was right on, you know, what that. do you see? How can we work on this together? Yeah. Here's what I want. Here's what I think you want. You know, yeah. what do you see as some solutions? Right. Because what that does is it it takes out this power dynamic that's so inherent in the way most of us learn parenting from our generation yes. of parents that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. That's like, I'm the parent, you're the child. I make the rules and you have to listen and you have to do what I say, right? right, right. And it's just the, the family dynamic to we're a team. And, you know, yes. ultimately you're as much of a person in this family as I am, even mm-hmm. if you're two years old. And I want your intelligence in here and I want your opinions and I want you to want to make these changes. With me. Right. Like, and you're making them an equal in the family. You know, you're saying exactly. your opinion matters and it's just as important as mine. Let's co-create a system that serves you and serves me and this, this whole family. And I love that. I love that wording. I hope parents that are listening can like just go back and record and write down these little examples of dialogue that Mariah keeps giving us because they're just, oh, they're these like gold gems. So one, taking the power struggle out is huge, making them like an equal having these conversations. And, and one thing you've taught me too, is having the conversation when you're not in trigger, when you're not in it. So maybe like things blew up at dinner time and then you're not having the conversation after dinner. You're having it like the next morning or right after school or something. Be like, Hey, this happened yesterday. Let's talk about it. You know, I saw this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm typically the kind of person like, let's fix it now. But you know what? You kind of just let, you have to let the energy simmer and, you know, everyone has to be neutral again so that you can bring it up in a neutral space and, yeah, uh, and everyone can connect and not have their walls put up because a lot of the times walls go up immediately, like, because these can often be old patterns, like people get triggered, children get triggered, parents get triggered, and then all of our walls go up and then we're all talking to each other's victims and no one's winning. And so, exactly, yeah. And when it comes to kids to remember too, that in the moment when, when they're upset and when you're in a, an argument or a power struggle, that they're dysregulated, you know, literally their brains, they're yes. not thinking with their, they're kind of like, there's this book that I love called no drama discipline. And they talk about children's upstairs brains versus their downstairs mm-hmm. brains and the upstairs brain being all of the prefrontal cortex and all the things that just aren't developed yet. And yeah. so if it's hard for us to stay regulated and think with that part of our brains oh when we're God. triggered and upset, think mm-hmm. how hard it is for a child who isn't even fully developed yet in that way. So, 100%. Yeah. I mean, even as adults, like you talk about the developed brain, I'm like, when we're in trigger, even adults, we are not thinking clearly. Like we, yeah. we go to downstairs brain immediately. And so no one wins, like no one wins. And so, so yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Mariah, are there any, is there any other important, I mean, God, we could like keep going, but what are some other important tidbits that you could end us with as far as helping train children and helping them navigate healthy healing foods in a healthy manner. What wisdom would you like to impart listeners on? Yeah, I would say the thing that I would want to leave people with is the is the reminder that I think it can be confusing when we talk about getting out of power struggle and dynamics of control versus having clear boundaries mm. and remembering that there's a really strong distinction there. So yes. having clear boundaries with your kids is not the same thing as controlling them. Right. And I think I as a parent, you have to intuitively feel where that line is. There's mm-hmm. not really an easy way to break down what that looks like. Yeah. But that boundaries actually make kids feel safe and boundaries, kids need boundaries. They make their world function. They make Mm -hmm. them able to get through their days, right? But it's the the control comes in when there's like an emotional hook in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're like, oh, they won't eat their dinner and you're losing it and you can't, you know, you can't stay out of the power struggle with them. And so that's the thing to remember is like, what are your bottom line boundaries? And can you be clear on those without letting your kids hook you into these, you know, kind of arguments and power struggles all the time? I freaking love that. And I want to reiterate, 
kids need boundaries. It makes them feel safe. It makes them know what's expected of them. And so being wishy-washy about their boundaries around food can create a lot of confusion and a lot of contention. Like I said, in the beginning of this episode, we have boundaries around school. Like my son knows you have to go to school on time. If you don't, I get a phone call. You only have so many tardies. That's a boundary that the school district has the school bound or like practice. Like you have to show up to practice. You're expected to practice X amount of hours. In our family, you are expected to eat your healing foods and then your fun foods, you know, and those healing foods can look like soups and smoothies and healthy snacks, but that's just what's expected in our family. You know, I can't control what my son eats out of sight of this house, but when he's in this house, like that's the boundary. And like you said, when the emotion is in there, then it turns into a power struggle and the boundary has now that, you know, transmuted into something else. Mariah, how can people find you? Like, what are your services? How do people get more of you? You are currently on maternity leave and you finish maternity leave because when are you having your baby? We're recording this in October. You're having your baby in November, correct? Uh, no, I'm actually having my baby uh, beginning of January. Oh, beginning of January. Okay, so beginning yeah, of January, so and, and you're having January some... first. <laughs> awesome. So how can yeah. people find you? When are you taking on clients, and how can people learn from you? Yeah, so I'll be starting to take clients back on starting around the end of February, beginning of March. Okay. And the best way people can find me, if you just want to hear more about what I do, one of the great ways is just Instagram. My Instagram is easefulmama. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group that you can join. That's called Conscious Parenting from Preconception to College. I love that. We were also kind of talking about maybe Mariah doing, I mean, she's having a baby next year, so I'm not like saying we need to do X, Y, and Z, but we played around with the idea of her creating a course on how parents can train healthy eaters. So that might be coming out. I, I'm not making any promises. Mariah's not making any promises, but we're just kind of putting it out there in the universe. But I think like this course on how to create conscious eaters would be amazing. So Mariah, if that just like tickles your fancy and sparks joy sometime next year, I know listeners and followers would be so, so, so interested in that. So thank you so much for your time today. This has been invaluable. I know parents are just going to eat this up because this is a very scary world to navigate because there's so much conflicting information out there. And we just like all our children need is love and understanding. And, you know, we can give that to them when we are helping them along their food education. So Mariah, thank you. Thank you. And listeners, thank you so much. And we will get you next week. Until then, take care. Hey, everybody. To celebrate our relaunch, we are actually doing our very first giveaway on the podcast. And as many of you know, Gina Warfel and myself have created this incredible online program and membership that takes you through the order of healing and teaches you how to become your own healing champion. The purpose of that is to help you rely on yourself and your own knowledge versus having to rely on doctors entirely when it comes to healing your body. We're giving away two memberships to this program, and it's really easy to enter. If you are ready to become your own healing champion and take 2022 by the horns and have this be your year for healing, this is how you can enter our giveaway. First, go and follow our new Instagram page, which is at Gutsy Health Podcast. And then second, all you have to do is leave the podcast a review. Easy, right? Now go to kite.link forward slash GHP and submit that review and entry now. Again, that is K-I-T-E dot link forward slash GHP and you can leave a review and that's it. That's how you enter the giveaway. We hope to see you in the membership and we hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. <laughs>